no no one is great without the other you know i think i don't think brady has the championships he has without belichick i don't think belichick has the championships he has without brady i think like there was a symbiotic relationship and a shared obsession between those two that was really special and when you're operating on the cutting edge of all of sports it can only last so long like right. that that relationship can only last so long and i'm actually frankly surprised it lasted as long as it did Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert, Charlotte left. Don't want Punch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. Coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We are fired up to be back at it. It's been way too long. We've all been traveling over Christmas trying to keep uh, keep everything in order, but Texas is in a deep freeze right now, so we're all coming to you live from various locations. I'm, I'm in an attic somewhere in North Houston, uh, but no, we're fired up to be here, fired up to talk. All the coaching changes that have gone on, some college football playoff review, some wild card weekend thoughts, and then maybe a little quick little look ahead before we before we get too far gone. But yeah, how are you guys doing? Everybody, everybody, staying warm out there in Texas? Yeah, staying warm. You know, thankfully we won't have any issues of, issues of ERCOT just yet compared to Not three yet. years ago, right? Not yet. The, uh, Jake was close. I saw, I saw a pretty good um, Dallas Cowboys joke the other day. It said that ERCOT <laughs> ERCOT told everybody to conserve energy and the cowboys were the only ones that listened oh so, no as a that cowboys just, fan that one cut deep a little bit but tough, you know man. i think humor is a good part of acceptance so, yeah yes, you know yeah, it's it's, gotta, it's the first step yeah <laughs> that's the good news about the internet is there's just so many good memes and tiktoks and stuff it's like kind of just laugh at yourself a little bit yeah i'm too. falling into the trap so Hey, yeah. if you don't laugh, you're gonna cry. So you just exactly. you gotta you gotta figure it out. My wife yeah. asked me at halftime. She's like, "What can I do to make it better?" I'm like, nothing oh, can make it better. There's nothing. <laughs> well, was it was it twenty seven to seven at that point? Twenty seven seven at half. It was, and it was when it, you know there was that glimmer of hope when it was twenty zero and they're driving and you're like, okay, you you know you do the math in your head. Okay, two for one here. Whether yeah. it's ten points, whether it's fourteen points, we're right back in this thing, and then. There was like, I don't know if somebody got hurt or what, but it was like, I don't know. There was a little like, or maybe a timeout, like a little pause and play before that pick six happened. So you're like, every, you know, everybody's kind of thinking it. And then just boom, <laughs> rip the bandit just off. Rip, ripped your heart pick out. Pick six. And you're just right like, out. okay, that's yeah. it. Just a, a really tough end to a really promising season for, for the boys. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, before yeah. we get too far into uh, Wild Card Weekend in the NFL, let's. Let's review the week that was in coaching changes. Some of the greatest icons in the entire sport uh, are no longer where we're used to seeing them. Obviously, Nick Saban steps down at Alabama. Bill Belichick um, steps aside slash is kind of maybe maybe agreed to, to, to move on with the Patriots. And Pete Carroll, kind of a similar situation in Seattle, although he sounds like he's staying on board as kind of an advisor role. but. Those are three iconic coaches, and there are more, obviously, that we can talk about, but three iconic coaches in the span of, what, 24, 36 hours. Mm -hmm. The game is 
the game has changed, man. Like the, I, those are like the coaches of my childhood for sure. So um, what are you guys kind of immediate reactions to those three legends no longer being in their homes? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me um, is, you know, when you're looking at the ages of these three, I think they're all kind of around the same age. They're in that early 70s range. And, you know, you kind of listen to the three of them talk and, you know, Bill and Pete are both talking about, you know, what's what's next and, you know, sticking, you know, sticking around coaching or, you know, like you said, with, you know, potential some other role. and. Saban's, you know, talking more about, you know, spending time with family, getting away, obviously still going to be involved with the Alabama program. But I think that just tells you the difference of where college football and where the NFL are right now. No doubt. And, you know, not then. I mean, any any level of coaching you're at, it's going to be a grind. But it the NFL, you've got your season that you're focused on. And then you kind of get to take a little bit of a break. You know, obviously there's, you know, football's pretty much all the year round, but, you know, you've kind of got, and obviously I know Bill and Pete are super involved, you know, as far as, you know, the draft and stuff like that go, but they still get somewhat of a break as opposed to college football. It's like the second year season ends, like, and, and even when your season's going, but the second year season ends, it's, you know, we're hitting the ground running with recruiting and it's, I mean, it's crazy to see, I mean, I'm looking at, I I saw somebody post the other day talking about Alabama and kind of the disadvantage they're at right Right. now, because now that Saban has left, their whole roster can pretty much be poached. Those those kids have 30 days to leave, but they haven't had the ability to go grab all the kids from the past 30 days that, you know, they can try, but you know, you're pretty much out of time now because kids are having to enroll in school at this point. So you're kind of having to wait till that end of the spring semester for those kids that leave. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that video of, um, Kalen DeBoer talking to the Alabama team. And obviously, you know, the team always looks a little bit bare before like all the freshmen get in, but I mean, it was like, there's like a quarter of that meeting room filled up. And it's just like a team that just went to the playoff most of the team just gone and it's just it, obviously we could talk all night about the the rule changes that need to be made in college football to get this whole thing right but i i i'm when i really come down to it my you know first thought is it just it's such a different world that Nick Saban is in than what he kind of entered into and it is for Bill and Pete as well but just so much different than you know, when he originally started coaching. And I, I think that's just got to take a toll um, on you, your family, you know, just everything that you do. And I, I can't blame him for, for wanting to step away at, at yeah. the age he's at. Yeah. Uh, college football would definitely be different without Nick Saban. I mean, 50 years coaching football. Um, you know, he did a few years, as you know, like with the Browns and with the Dolphins, but he made a mark on Alabama and, Won so many championships, so many playoff games, so many bowl games. Um, so about hundred plus guys made it to the draft. Actually, probably hundred plus guys in the first round, right? So, um, what he did for just defense, you know, uh, I know we're offensive or offense podcast, but what he did for defense and when it came to the whole like Ripley's match, definitely changed the game. Um, it was unique to see like Nick Saban retire 
on Tuesday. Then like the following Wednesday was Bill Belichick, like announcing he's being stepped down. And um, I know on HBO a few years ago they had a documentary on those two and just how great and how excellent they were as coaches because they both were uh, you know coaching in Cleveland back in like, I want to say in the nineties in early nineties. So um, what both what Nick brought to the game. I know the SEC is sleeping a little better tonight than other coaches and teams because, you know, Nick, with Nick uh, kind of not, you know, on the sidelines, but the, the college football is definitely going to miss him. I mean, just the standard of excellence that Alabama had. One of the favorite, like one of my favorite conversations I like to have, like, you know, uh, with, with friends who are college football fans is like back in, t- back in 2006, Nick Saban is the Miami Dolphins coach and they try to sign, you know, Drew Brees the trainers end up uh, saying he's not medically clear because of his shoulder. So he ends up going to Saints. The Dolphins get Dante Culpepper. He has a bad season. Then um, Nick Saban heads out to Alabama. And the what if, as a West Virginia guy, was always, what if Nick Saban stays in Miami? And what if Rich Rod gets the job at Alabama? And it's like, wow. Like, just crazy seeing, just crazy thinking about, like, what college football looked like. Um, during the documentary of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, one of the things I think Nick mentioned was, he knew he needed a trigger guy. He knew he needed a quarterback in NFL. He's like, he, that was like something he knew he needed as a coach. So he, he said once he was able to get a quarterback, a part of the reason why he went back to college was he, would, he was able to pick his own guys. So, um, yeah, college football is going to miss him. I think the NIL transfer portal definitely maybe affected his decision. I don't know him personally, but I can see that affecting his decision, right? Um, so hopefully, you know, like Jake was saying earlier, there's, there's some, be some rules that kind of like helps out both parties, the players and the coaches in the schools. But uh, Nick would definitely be missed. It'd be weird not seeing him yeah. in an Iron Bowl later on this year. It'd be weird seeing right. him not in an SEC championship game and seeing him just like walking the sideline, especially during a spring game, right when he's wearing a sport coat. So he definitely will be missed. Fifty years—that's that's excellence. And he mentioned yep. in one of his um, exit like uh, interviews with media how he would still grind to like you know two o'clock in the morning, wake up at six, which is wild <laughs> at his age. Still going, just running on oatmeal cream pies, just. Uh... <laughs> getting after it every day but yeah i mean obviously we could talk all day about saban um belichick i think you know i think history speaks for itself with him in terms of the championships he won and i know people people try to do the whole like well he's nothing without tom brady thing but like he also won a couple super bowls with the giants as a defensive coordinator so like he stands on his record um i don't i don't like to get into those kind of conversations too much because i mean at the end of the day it's like no no one is great without the other you know I think I don't think Brady has the championships he has without Belichick I don't think Belichick has the championships he has without Brady I think like there was a symbiotic relationship and a shared obsession between those two that was really special and when you're operating on the cutting edge of all of sports it can only last so long like that that relationship can only last so long and I'm actually frankly surprised it lasted as long as it did and uh yeah I mean when you have two goats uh, occupying the same space. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of air in there for sure. Uh, but I wanted to take a, a quick second to talk about Pete Carroll um, because yeah. I think he kind of gets lost in all of this. Mm-hmm. Like the dude won multiple national championships as a college coach, wins a Super Bowl, um, establishes kind of an unbelievable run and, and culture with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and And I think what, maybe Pete Carroll is most remembered for at this point would probably be just how much fun he had coaching the game of football and how vibrant he stayed throughout, you know, 
advanced years, even coaching. And I think in turn, you know, obviously this is the play callers club. We focus a lot on offensive football, but we really are talking to coaches more generally when we're, when we're having these discussions. And I think Pete Carroll's career is like a great roadmap for young coaches that are getting into it because he had ups and downs. Like he had situations where like he maybe got a job before he was ready and it didn't work out the way he wanted to, whether it was with the Jets or the Patriots um, and really kind of picking up the pieces, continuing to learn, continuing to grow. I mean, we talk about growth mindset a lot on this podcast, and I think he demonstrates growth mindset pretty well. The fact that he's still developing and growing as a you know 70 plus year old and obviously goes to USC wins a national championship there and really I think changed a lot of his philosophy and like the, his approach to the game from being um, maybe a little OCD at the beginning of his career to being more um, open and I think maybe player for, player focused later in his career so again I think I think his legacy for for a lot of coaches is authenticity and uh you know Robert Sala even he said something about that in an interview where he just said you know Pete Carroll always told us young coaches like be authentic to yourself be yourself because when when adversity hits your true character is going to shine through so you might as well die on your sword being you than trying to pretend like you're being somebody else so man all these coaches are such you know giants of the game and will definitely be missed all of them uh, but i think you're also seeing kind of this transition in coaching more generally that it seems like it's kind of becoming a young man's game the just coaching in general whether it's coaching in the college ranks or the professional ranks even like you're seeing younger and younger guys get jobs Gerard mayo is now the youngest coach in uh, the nfl even younger than sean McVay. so I, i'd be interested to hear what you guys think about kind of this youth movement in coaching, do you feel like there's just so much pressure and so much intensity around coaching right now that it's almost like, uh, you know, the startup environment in Silicon Valley, like the young guys kind of got to go get it, burn out and, uh, and reset. How does, how do how do you guys see that happening? That's exactly kind of what I was going to say. It's literally, I'd say a parallel to kind of the real world right now of just how, you know, fast tempo times are changing you know, just kind of go, go, go. And so it's, yeah, it's different. And it's, I think McVeigh was pretty pumped in his presser the other day when Mayo got hired. He's finally <laughs> not the youngest. Finally, finally off the hot seat of being the youngest. The NFL, yeah. But yeah, right. Yeah. I think, I think the most important thing and, um, you know, you see it with a lot of these younger guys is they, I think the ones that do it the best still did learn from, you know, some of those, I don't want to, you know, keep sitting here talking about like old guys, but the, the guys that came before them yes. along the yeah. way, um, because there's, there are so many guys that get in that position and they, you know, they're not ready or they didn't, you know, prepare and they kind of just like fell into this position or whatever. So I think the guys that are having the most success, they, you know, they take what they've learned at every single stop. They, you know, whether it's good or bad, um, positive or negative, whoever they've been around, you know, they're taking a little bit of something. And I think, you know, that's where you see them continue to take these big steps. I mean, just like a guy like Kalen DeBoer, I mean, it's just every single step that he's been at, he just keeps getting better and better and better. And it's hard to think that he's not going to do the same when he gets to Alabama. Yeah. I think for, for uh, young coaches, they are, I mean, it's, it's unique, right? A guy like, like 
Gerard Mayo or D'Amico Ryans or even Sean McVay, right? Like for guys like them, for, for D'Amico and, and um, Gerard Mayo, they, they played in the league, then he became coaches immediately, right? And Sean McVay, he started coaching at a very young age. So what I've noticed with the trend with these young coaches, they're young head coaches, but they're also young assistants as well. Mm-hmm. So they're like quality control guys at the age of like 20, 21, 22. So they're the same age as the guys they may be coaching in that position group. And they kind of just work their way up and they just kind of learn as they go. So by the time they're like in their mid thirties, they have like 10 to 15, probably 10, almost 12 years of coaching experience or just more so experience in NFL or college or the case may be like, you know, Gerard Mayo, he was with the Patriots for eight years as a player, five years as a coach. So you can kind of like incorporate what he learned as a player being, he was like a linebacker. He was calling the defense for the Patriots um, into like his coaching responsibilities, coaching duties. Um, D'Amico, you know, he was, Played for the Texans, played for the Eagles, and um, you know, they went to the coaches for the 49ers for a little bit. So, like, all these guys have like, as you would, as you can say, like in a real world outside of football, they have like on the job training. Like they've done the job, they've done the work, right? So now they're kind of getting rewarded with these jobs at a young age because they have experience. They're not like guys who, you know, um coached start coaching later in their lives, and that's why like they're getting jobs later. They're just like Yet are young, but they have work experience. Yeah. That's why I think some of these guys are getting getting these jobs earlier than, than than we expect. I kind of compare it to like when you know people are wondering all the time, why are so many guys starting as like true freshmen, or why are so many like I remember when I played in high school, it was like you know you don't start until you're a junior, right? And now exactly. you've got freshmen and sophomores, you know, playing all the time, and I just think it's because. Once again, like Rashad said, the exposure and the experience that you're getting at such a, you know, at the at the middle school age, at you know, starting to play seven on seven when you're in middle school, when you're, you know, a freshman, stuff like that. You're just getting so there's so much exposure and there's so many there's so much technology out there now that you can, you know, pick up the game and learn a little bit faster that you don't, you know, you don't have to, you know, wait your 20, 30 years till you get your opportunity now. It's if you know, it's there if you want to go take it. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a great point. I also think that right now we focus way too much on who the head coach is and not enough about the kind of staff they're putting together. And obviously we can point to a lot of different examples here, but when, when you guys talk about kind of, you know, when we as a group talk about younger coaches getting jobs earlier and kind of having to be prepared for these opportunities. I think also it, the onus is on these younger coaches to surround themselves with a staff of older, more experienced coaches where they can learn and glean that knowledge and information from. And, you know, it's it's interesting for me, like when we watch through this past season and even, you know, the wildcard weekend, you could tell the Eagles really missed their coordinators right i mean we both watched the we, we the three of us watched the bucks eagles game together you can tell they miss shane steichen on offense tell they miss jonathan gannon on defense now obviously those guys aren't necessarily old coaches but what really starts to hurt coaches i think over the long run of their career is can they continue to put a staff together that can operate every year and i think the thing that nick saban doesn't get nearly enough credit for is how often his staffs rolled over and how he was able to keep that thing like tight the whole way through. Like it's kind of unbelievable, right? Like he, it felt like he was turning over a coordinator or like a significant position coach every year. And we joke about the Nick Saban school for wayward coaches, but I mean, 
it says something about him that people felt comfortable enough checking their ego at the door to be on staff for him because they felt like he had something valuable. He it wasn't always in a coordinator role either. It was, you no, know, it was an analyst. Analyst yeah. quality yeah. control role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and here's what I'll say. I got to give a lot of credit right now to uh, Kalen DeBoer so far at Alabama. We're recording this on a, a Tuesday night. He has added two sitting FBS head coaches to his coaching staff. Kane Womack is DC. He was the head coach at South Alabama. And uh, Mo Lindquist was the head coach of Buffalo. He's adding yep. him to his staff as well. Like to have enough pool, and I know it's Alabama, but to have enough pool to add two FBS sitting head coaches to your staff, that says something, right? So again, I think the defensive side of the ball too, where they both of them, you know, kind of at, yeah. at Washington was kind of the struggle a little Correct. bit. Correct. Yeah, and so uh, he's definitely working to address that. And again, this could all. This could all blow up, right? Like we we don't know. We we don't claim to know exactly how everything's going to go. But I think the way I look at it, at least from seeing all these young coaches put staffs together year over year, I think that was one of the things that, again, from an outsider perspective, looking in, had to wear on Sean McVay mm-hmm. when he's got all these assistant coaches that are going out and getting head jobs, Kevin O'Connell and all these other guys, and he's got to replace them year over year. And that that's a lot of pressure, especially when like those are your your guys that you can count on, uh, that you've developed an offense with, developed continuity with. Like that's really hard to replace year over year. Um, and sometimes there's swings and misses, right? Sometimes you put a staff together that's not what you expected. Um, so it's just it's a real challenge, man. Like not only are the head coaches constantly shifting, but your staff is constantly shifting, and finding good people um, is is second to none. And the last thing I'll say on this is I know we talk to a lot of young coaches on this podcast, but for older coaches, uh, if you are willing to check your ego at the door and be a mentor to a younger coach and join a staff in maybe a less significant role, you could be the like the most valuable person ever. Uh, me and Rashad had an amazing experience this past season. Uh, an older guy named Vince Arduini joined our staff as the offensive line coach. And Coach Vince, man, like, that's my guy, right? Like you love him. I learned yeah, so yeah. much from him. He, I think he enjoyed the season. Um, he had coached division one football. He'd been all over the place, um, but he agreed to be our offensive line coach last year. And it was a phenomenal experience. And I hope he enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for sometimes, sometimes as coaches, we think like, well, I'm, I'm older than you. I have seniority. I have more experience. Like I should be the OC or I should be the head coach. And, I think I'm most impressed with some of these older coaches that are willing to take a step back and take on a mentorship role like coach Vince did, because that year working with Vince is a hundred percent going to shape my career moving forward. I mean, invaluable experience for me as a, as a young coach, that's for sure. So that's enough, enough from, from me on that topic, but I figured I'd weigh in on just the importance of a staff and how that's going to impact the the future of football for sure. So do we want to hit on, the college football playoff a little bit. That's something we haven't uh, had a chance to debrief since uh, yeah. we've all been back, back online. Yeah. Rashad, where do you want to start, man? Start with the Wolverines versus. You got to. Those versus, are your guys. Uh, versus Alabama. Um, yeah, the Ro- I mean, Rose Bowl is always a great game to watch. You know, wonderful, wonderful views and, uh, um, you know, wonderful setting. 
But watching, it was unique watching, you know, Michigan, how they kind of geared up to play in these bowl games, right? You know, in years past, right, Big Ten teams usually struggle against SEC, SEC teams. But Michigan, over the past, like, three or four years, recruited better to kind of prepare themselves for SEC teams, right? And in that game versus, you know, uh, Alabama, you saw a lot of 13 personnel. You saw some 22 personnel. You saw a lot of saw a lot of gap schemes. They were just going downhill. And what won, them, won that game in overtime, right, was Blake, Blake Coral running power, like, pretty much twice, right? So um, just a great, great, great game from start to finish. A great, like, competitive ball, ball game. I know fans have unique views on the play call for for Alabama uh, when they you know chose to do was it Q power with um yeah it was it was a QB power I think it was QB power was off there. of um it was there, it was there. <laughs> the snap right yeah uh, man. I think I don't know yeah. if you ask me I think Saban didn't want to throw anybody under the bus on that one but he yeah. made it sound like you know the call was. Just a straight run, but I think if you ask me, that's a read. Read, you, you can know, fl- you could flip it out there nine times out of ten, and it's you know, if the guy's got a step, you throw it, and he had mm. about three or four steps on him. But, the snap, but as a coach, you know, like snaps at his feet. So, do you want that ball out of there, or do you want the ball in your best player's hand at the end of the game? I mean, I completely see where you know. It, but to me, it just comes back to like a numbers game. I mean, you're just running yeah. into such a loaded box. And it'd be one thing if you're playing like a, a weaker team where you just feel like you can outman them. And yeah. you know, Jalen Milrow is going to go one-on-one with a guy in the hole and he's going to run him over. But to me, that's a true like numbers read. And if yeah. you know, if that box is loaded and you've got leverage, throw it out there. But And I think that's something as a coach, you've got to coach too is – and that's hard when you're playing maybe not, you know, when you're playing the Chattanoogas of the world. It's like, okay, hey, you can kind of just pound this get one away in there. Get away with doing whatever. When you're yeah. playing Michigan. Yeah, bully ball. It's like, hey, if you're not 100% confident, you know, sling that thing out there and let your guy make a play. Which, you know, you also have to trust two guys to make the block out there. You have to trust the running back to make the catch. But at the same time, you know, that's any play. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan built themselves like an SEC team, offensive and defensive line, yeah. running backs, tight ends. So, I mean, kudos to Jim Harbaugh and his staff for putting that together. But I think the, the biggest thing that stands out to me when I watched Michigan in the playoff was not only their ability at the line of scrimmage, but their depth depth at the line of scrimmage because I think that's where you saw some teams like really fall off is if one guy goes down and Michigan had that right like Zach Zinter is probably if not the best player on that offensive line one of the best players on that offensive line he goes down um before the playoff and you know that really could have derailed a lot of teams um but they kept chugging um so Credit to them. I mean, depth, I think, is the hardest thing to achieve in the modern game right now with NIL and the transfer portal. And Michigan has found a way to achieve it, which is remarkable, I think. Yeah, I think I think my two things I would say about Michigan was one, I think they were the one of the four teams that stuck to their identity and knew, you know, exactly what they wanted to do in both games. and. Two is just offensive line play. And I think if anything, 
you know, Dan, you talked about it, you know, growing in your offensive line knowledge this past year. Um, I think that's something that we sometimes fail to, you know, prove is just how dominant an offensive line truly can be. Yes. Um, and it's not, not just the knowledge of it. I mean, they, I mean, like you said, some of their best players, probably most of their best players were on their offensive line. Yes, and I would agree it, with that. It showed. And I just think I can't, that can't be stated enough how important a good offensive line is. And I think it's funny how the older you get, the more, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things where the more you realize how important an offensive line oh, yeah. is. <laughs> You know, a quarterback my entire life, those guys are protecting me. You just, you don't really realize that. You just kind of like take it for granted. So true. Even like, even the years you have a bad offensive line, you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But then, you know, you watch it on tape, you know, you watch the teams that are really good. And it's like, you can't be at the, the elite of the elite without a good offensive line. Like, it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. If he doesn't have the time to throw, if your running backs don't have the holes, it's just not going to happen. Like, you could have put anybody back there. I mean, those I can't remember what Michigan's backup running back's name is, but some of those holes that he got to run through on those touchdowns, it's like Donovan Edwards, yeah. Myself at 28 years old with two torn ACLs probably could have picked up 10 yards per carry on some of those runs. Okay, I'd gi- I'll give you seven, Jake. Okay. I'll give you seven. I'll t- and I'll take that because that's great. <laughs> <laughs> no first down. Uh, no, yeah. it's, it's so true, man. It's so yeah. true. Yeah, and, and it carried that same you know mentality right from that Rose Bowl straight to the championship game, and they're just playing they're playing just bully ball. They're just opposing yeah. will. They did it from the Ohio State game, the Alabama game, then to the watch the game. Yeah, yeah. Now, I almost think game. that they like tried to entertain us for a little bit by like you know throwing the ball around a little bit in that Washington game. Like, oh, we'll we'll keep them in it for a little bit, and then when you know the going got tough, they're like, all right, let's just run the ball. It's time. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think. I think, you know, it was interesting. There was a lot of talk about did the best four teams get in? And obviously, like, that's that's the tricky part of a four-team playoff. And we've already kind of discussed this at length that the reality is probably not. I mean, you put Georgia you put Georgia up against anybody. Um, yeah. But the, the tough thing is, like, you got to win. You Like, you got to win yeah, you have to the SEC championship to, to be there. You yeah. have to beat Bama. Um, and in some ways, I'm like – that might have been Nick Saban's swan song, right? Like he he's gonna find a way to knock off Kirby and the dogs, get to the college football playoff. And it was interesting hearing him hearing him talk. It's like, do you think he kind of knew that Bama was pretty flawed, and that <laughs> you know, like he I, he almost sounded like, man, I'm really proud of what this team accomplished. Yeah, because we had this conversation when they played USF and looked anemic oh, offensively. Oh man, that was and. Rough. Yeah, you know, they found a way. And that's I think speaks to the greatness of Nick Saban, but at a certain point can you keep pulling a rabbit out of the hat? Yeah, exactly. And can you keep and, and the expectations don't change. So can you keep, you know, rising to those expectations when it feels like it gets harder and harder every year? Um but yeah, I mean credit to credit to Bama for what they were able to pull off this season. But I think I think those first two games in the playoff were really entertaining. Um, and I think ultimately what showed up the most in the national championship game between Washington and Michigan was the disparity at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And that is giving full credit to Washington's excellent offensive line. Um, but they still, Michigan was still winning one-on-ones. Yep. Not against everybody, but they were still winning one-on-ones at the line of scrimmage. And 
obviously the, I didn't think the running back from Washington was anywhere near a hundred percent. So when you take the run game away, now you're really teeing off on Michael Penix Jr. And the poor guy just got blasted. So I, I, I mean, we can talk all day about how much I loved Washington's offense all year, but I think no matter how beautifully designed your offense is, there comes a point in time when it literally just comes down to the line of scrimmage. Like it just comes down to the line of scrimmage. And I think that's a big reason why Kalen DeBoer is at Alabama. I think that's a big reason why Brian Kelly is at LSU is because they've been in these situations where they've gone up against these juggernaut teams and realized like, I need to get somewhere where I can match up at the line of scrimmage with these teams. And that's why I think DeBoer's at Alabama, and that's why Brian Kelly's at LSU, that we want to be able to play with these guys. And, man, I just got to keep giving credit to Jim Harbaugh. Like, he built that team at Michigan, and I don't think many people thought he could build that team at Michigan. I honestly don't. His brother said today that he's the best team builder from top to bottom, not in college football, but in all of football, which is quite the compliment from the guy sitting in the one seed for the Ravens right now with – a pretty dang not just team. not just the one seed, but like they spanked the Niners. Mm-hmm. Oh, they put it on them on the so, Christmas night, yeah. And again, this is the I reason we have a playoff. He's his brother. I think he means it. I think he means it, and I think in some ways, John Harbaugh wants Jim in the NFL because of the brother thing, and I think in other ways, he kind of hopes he stays in college. <laughs> Exactly. Because you don't want to have to go through that. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, I think that it's the team, it's the team like roster building from top to bottom that really stands out to me because it's not just, hey, I'm going to stack up the most on paper talent. It's literally going through and saying like, what does my team have to look like to beat Georgia? And I think that's kind of what he did, which is, seems like kind of an NFL approach, right? Like, all right, what do I have to do to beat the Baltimore Ravens? How do I have to build my roster to do that? And I, was, yeah, I mean, that, so, I mean, I'm thinking 2023 Michigan against 2022 Georgia would have been, I mean, just like a matchup for the ages. Like I know so they 2022 got to, Georgia will lose to anybody, anybody though. I'm just saying, I feel like they're built. I mean, they almost lost to Ohio State. I know, I know. You're you're, you're right about that. No, Ohio I feel State's like, a good field goal kicker away from winning that game. Yeah, no, yeah. but I feel like C.J. Stroud, maybe we didn't realize like the greatness that we had there. You know, Dude. He is a straight dude. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Rashad, what were you going to chime in on? Uh, I was going to chime in on uh, Harbaugh, how, I don't know if you guys remember, like back when he was with the, 49ers, how like the year before he got there, six and 10, then he, he got there, same exact team, just about lost in an NFC championship game versus the Giants and just had to, had the 49ers rolling. Then, you know, he had some issues with the GM and up going back to college, but yeah, uh, coach Harbaugh is, uh, he, I, I can see him being, he's a great, great coach. He's a little weird, but <laughs> he's a great coach right now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got, I think he's going to have a lot of interviews right now. And and I think the question you have to ask yourself as an NFL owner, I guess, is, well, the history kind of says that he wears out his welcome a little bit um, in terms of like working with NFL players. 
And so you're going to have to be pretty conscientious about the roster you put together and, and getting buy-in. And I think that's part of the reason I would imagine a big selling point for Harbaugh in negotiations is if I don't have some control over this roster, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I'm not doing it. And I think Belichick felt that way about rosters in general as well. Like, and, and I, I've seen it, man. Like I've in just some of the conversations I've had with guys that are in the league when your coach and your GM are not on the same page about the kind of players you're bringing in the building. It creates a ton of friction, a ton of problems, especially when those players aren't performing. Cause someone's going to win that argument of we need this guy or we need that guy. And uh, you know, obviously there are guys that are really successful guys that are busts, but even just, agreeing on like addressing roster issues like no we don't need another receiver we need a tight end right you know, no we don't need another uh another corner we need an interior defensive lineman you know and just thinking through those things i think is really challenging and so i think the 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 organizations right now that are the most successful are the ones that are the most cohesive between that general manager and head coach general manager and head coach have to be in alignment to create a team. And I think the teams that are struggling with that are obviously struggling in general. And I don't think it's just about a quarterback. Like obviously right. you need a quarterback, but I, mean, look at, I don't think, I think the biggest example of that would be the lions. There you go. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. hundred percent. Uh, you saw, I can't think of their GM's name, but Dan Brad Campbell, Holmes. Yeah. Dan Campbell yeah. gave him the game ball after the game. I mean, he's like, we couldn't have done this without each other. And I mean, I mean, that's just Dan to all the points you just made. It's so true. I mean, the team, the roster that they built, and it's not something that just, you know, poof happened. I mean, they were Oh, 10 and one, you know, through that first year, Crazy. ended up, you know, winning like three of the last six last year, still don't make the playoffs. And then here they are, you know, finally won that first playoff game in so long. And then once again, like you said, it's not all about just having, you know, it's a quarterback that another team didn't even want, but it's a quarterback, like he said, good enough for Detroit, good enough to be in their system. And they've got the guys, you know, once again, we're talking about just roster building. I mean, you're talking about from top to bottom, you know, defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball. Once again, we're talking about a really, really good offensive line, good assistant coaches. Back to Dan's point earlier, you know, Ben Johnson probably. <laughs> I mean, if we're not talking about names like Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh and Pete Carroll, I mean, Ben Johnson easily is at the top of, you know, team's list right now. 100%. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I want to linger on this point about Detroit for a second. I, I just pulled it up. Their last, the last three years, their draft, um, think about all the, like, like impact players right. that are on this list. Amon Ross St. Brown, Penny Sewell. Kirby Joseph, the DB, Malcolm Rodriguez, the linebacker, Aiden Hutchinson, Jamison Williams, um, Sam Laporta was a second round pick, Jameer Gibbs. I'm not sure how much Jack Campbell is doing for them right now. Did he get hurt? He's, he's killing it at linebacker. Is he? Okay. I, I haven't been watching it, yeah. their defense a ton, yeah. but I did notice Brian Branch, their second, uh, I guess their second round pick from Bama, the DB, who's playing like their slot corner position. Like, think about all those names in the past six against the Chiefs in the first game. Yeah. I mean, shoot, like that roster 
is home homegrown to as much as homegrown can be in the NFL, right? Like yeah. they went out there and they picked their kind of guys. And I know we've been, kind of been all over the place on this podcast a little bit, but I want to go back to Washington being in the national championship game. Like you look at that roster, who built that roster? Chris Peterson. Like those guys that were like balling at the end of the season, the offensive linemen, um, a lot of the receivers were guys that Chris Peterson brought in. Now, I know obviously you had Penix and you had Dylan Johnson, you had some other guys, but a lot of impact players and a lot of depth on that roster was Chris Peterson holdovers, guys that he brought into Washington. And one of the things that Chris Peterson used to always talk about when he was at Boise and, and then when he was at Washington was, uh, and I think Brian Harson even talked about this on our podcast with Coach Harson, um, talked about recruiting our kind of guys, OKGs, okay, our kind of guys. And I think Dan Campbell, because they, they took a lot of heat for the draft this year, like Jack Campbell, Jameer Gibbs, they, they took some heat, right? And a lot of these guys have like done pretty well in Detroit. And I just think that philosophy of like, we want our kind of guys that vibe with our culture and what we're trying to get done. Aiden Hutchinson's a perfect example, just the motor that he plays with. And it seems like they've rewarded players that are willing to wear the hard hat. Like I'm on Ross St. Brown and John Kaminsky, their three technique who, you know, he doesn't get the publicity obviously that Aiden Hutchinson does, but he does a lot of the dirty work in the interior. They were rewarded him with a pretty sizable contract for a, fringe type guy so yeah i mean I, anyway this is kind of down the rabbit hole in terms of roster building and all these things but i just think it's really interesting how the relationship between dan campbell and brad holmes seems in lockstep and they weathered the storm of a tough first year they made huge improvements in year two and year three we're seeing all the all the payoffs and it's it's really cool to see it's really cool to see that relationship um, pay off for Detroit. Yeah, got to be happy for that city, it's, man. It's hard. It's hard not to cheer for them. It's yeah. I mean, I don't. I, don't, I mean, they've got to be the most lovable. Team, they're the most lovable team yeah. in the NFL right now. Unless they're playing your team, guaranteed. You know, you're you're pretty much cheering for them. Also, you got the we had the Jared Golf revenge game. You know, this past Sunday, right? He got shipped out to Detroit. He couldn't get it done in the Super Bowl versus the Patriots, right? And look at him. So, had a big game. All right, real quick, hot take, Jake. Who won the Jared Goff Matthew Stafford swap? Well, I mean, the Rams have won a Super Bowl. I guess they did. Have to they sure did win a Super Bowl. TBD based on how this year ends. I, you still have yeah, to give yeah. me up to the Rams. Yeah, what's Jake's take on this one? Yeah. <laughs> I still go Rams unless um, the Lions won the Super Bowl this year. Because then if the Lions win the Super Bowl, I mean, Goff's younger. Goff's got more years to play. You've got, a, I feel like, a team that's more equipped, you know, kind of like we've kind of talked about, a team that's built to kind of keep moving as to where – you know, I mean, talk about the Rams, though. I mean, they did a pretty good job in the draft this past year as well. You know, sure getting did. guys like Puka Nakua in the fifth round. No doubt. Um, their whole, but, I mean, their whole draft was pretty solid. Yeah. The the D lineman from Wake that they got uh, has balled out. Yeah. Got it's, it. at the end of the day, though, it's all about winning. So saying, you know, 
You one Super Bowl to zero, you definitely got to go with the one still. You got yeah. to, yeah, yeah, I agree. Are you going to argue with that, Rashad? You got, you got, uh, well, we got Rams a, or Lions. I guess we got to see because if I wouldn't count it, I wouldn't count it as a win until we see the Lions win Super Bowl. Okay, Lions also got a huge, like, uh, you know, all the draft picks they got, like a three first rounders and end up making trades. I've never seen a graphic NBC, it was like six, seven or six players they got, and most of them are starters. So I, I agree with Jake on the point that until they win the Super Bowl, but unfortunately with the Lion, with the Rams making that trade, as you can see, the Rams are very top heavy. If you look at the Rams roster as a casual fan, all you know is Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, and uh, Aaron Donald. And the rest of the guys are like, who are these guys again? I went to the Rams, I went to the Rams Cardinals game back in October in uh, SoFi. Uh, quick plug SoFi is a beautiful stadium. Definitely it check really it out is. for your chance. It really is. Um, I was at the game and most of the time I kept looking at these guys. I was like, most of these guys were not on this team two, a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. But um, for all that being said, like P- Puka Nakua is like a modern day Aquan Bolden, Heinz Ward, you know, blend. Tough dude. <laughs> he's a tough, tough, tough dude. dude. 6'2. He's kind of built like Anquan. He's just a tough guy. He, Runs hard and he's getting lit up, you know, in that game he had. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see, like Jake said, right? Uh, if the Lions end up winning, if the Lions win the Super Bowl over the next few years, yeah, the Lions might have won that trade. So I, I'm going to take the easy way out and say, like, maybe it was best for both. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, can you really rip, rip it down to the studs when you have Matthew Stafford? It's like you all, you got to try, right? If you're yeah. the if you're the Lions, and you're wasting valuable years of his career if you if you just pull the ripcord and, and totally rebuild with Dan Campbell, um, and I think Jared Goff needed a change of scenery. Like I, I do think it's one of those things where it everything feels so personal between yeah. coaches and players. Always, yeah, but yeah. sometimes you do need a change of scenery, and you do need a chance to work with somebody else because you you just get stuck sometimes with coaches and players and you feel like you're just you're not making the inroads that you want to make anymore and I think McVay was ready to work with a new quarterback and I think Goff needed a new voice and I and I think both can be true you know and and obviously like yeah to a certain degree Jared Goff revenge game yeah that's for sure but like I don't know I think I think sometimes it's good for both parties to to have a fresh start and a new opportunity. And uh, I don't know if there's a coach in the league that would pass up an opportunity to work with Matthew Stafford. I know they didn't win the game, but dude, some of the freaking throws he made oh, were man. inhuman, not not human. And uh, you know, Mahomes gets a lot of the publicity for that, but Matthew Stafford is unreal, man. Yeah. Absolutely unreal as a quarterback. Yeah, it kind of. I mean, talking about the, a win for both, it kind of goes back to your point, Dan, talking earlier about like the whole Tom Brady, Bill Belichick thing, like not being able to do it without each other. That's kind of the difference in that situation, and I think kind of this like false narrative got you know brought up when Brady went on to win the Super Bowl the next year. Is like, well, Brady was able to leave and go to a team that was like ready to win. Ready. They were just yeah. missing a quarterback, as opposed to. Bill kind of had to like start all over, you know, losing, being a coach and losing a guy that you've had for 20 years, that hurts a lot more than just being a quarterback and being able to go bounce to another team. Pretty much have, you know, the choice of what you want. And, you know, you get to go throw to Mike Evans and 
Chris Godwin and their primes, along with, you know, the top defense in the NFL on the other side. That's works out pretty well. Kind of. And I'm a Tom Brady guy through and through. Love Tom Brady. But to say Bill Belichick wasn't a big reason for, you know, all all six of those Super Bowls would be crazy. Yeah. Especially with how much the defense carried some of those first three. Well, and, and I think, you know, football is finite, man. I think we just have to come to that realization and just admit it. Like the magic can only last so long, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is I, the way I describe it in like putting a team together is like, it's like alchemy every single year. That group that you put together is different. Even if you're returning like 10 starters on each side of the ball, you have new variables. People are growing and developing as humans throughout. That's why that's why I think football is so interesting year over year because everything feels new and every like the energy in that building is different every year. Definitely. And you have to kind of you have to manage it. And it was interesting hearing Sean McVay talk about coaching this rendition of the Los Angeles Rams and kind of talking about how like this group kind of gave him his almost like gave him his mojo back a little bit, yeah. gave him his joy back. And that's really true, man. As a coach, you feel that like you have certain groups of players you work with that you're just like, man, this revitalized me. And you have other seasons that just it drains you. And I think the same is true for players, right? Like sometimes you have a coach that just like totally puts wind in your sails for that season. And you might have another season where it feels like the coach just takes all the air out of the the room. And so it is this like delicate dance, man, of all these different human beings with huge egos trying to get something done together. It's one of the most interesting sports in the world. And I think because of that, it's one of the most interesting sports in the world. Yeah. I mean, just goes back to another point we made, just being like fit. That's why you see coaches get fired from one place and get hired to another place. It's like, well, we know they're capable of doing it. It's right. Just, right. You know, like we said, they, you know, the love was kind of had ran out at another place or they're just, you know, styles of two guys weren't meshing. But, you know, you go put Bill Belichick in charge of another franchise right now, they'll probably be just fine. So sometimes it's time. Yeah. Sometimes it's time to move on to the next challenge, experience something new. And sometimes that does look like a promotion. And sometimes that can feel like a demotion. But I think for coaches, it's important to keep in perspective that every year is kind of this learning opportunity. And I think everybody expects their career to kind of be on this um, linear growth pattern where they just go from one good job to the next. And that doesn't always happen. Like it, it, it's, there's more ups and downs to it, I think, than that. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it's your time in the sun and you've got to enjoy it. And sometimes it's, you know, the season where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong and you have to find a way to maintain enthusiasm through it. One of my favorite quotes ever is a Winston Churchill quote. And he says, success is the ability to move from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Um, and I think that's one of the most important quotes that a coach or a, an athlete can kind of internalize is Failure is going to come. It's going to adversity is going to hit. Being able to maintain your positive energy through all that is really what success looks like. Because you never know, you know, when 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 it's going to break the right way for you. So anyway, that's kind of my my sermon for the day. But I just I love that mentality of 
being able to bounce back from those failures as opposed to um, envisioning your career as just this like rocket ship to uh, to the moon. Like it's it happens that way for some people. But when you look at the greats and you actually go study Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, pretty much all those dudes got fired and dealt with something difficult or had to take a rough assignment one place or another. Um, and they kept going. They just kept going. Yeah. One person that I think, you know, that kind of their season in a nutshell, that kind of defines. Um, and I think is going to come out on the other end better from it is Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. Like just the yeah. amount of injuries and just like crappy things that happened to them this year. Like, <laughs> you know, I know it's, there's some people that are frustrated um, in that fan base. And you, I mean, you've even got people saying that, you know, his job should be on the line. He should be on the hot seat. They should slow down with that. They should slow down with that. Insanity. I don't think there's, you know, a guy on that roster that thinks that that should be the case. But, you know, even talking about like a guy like Jalen Ramsey, that's, you know, probably their best defender didn't even start playing until December. And then by the time right. he started playing, they had already lost, you know, half their roster on defense. That's crazy. And, you know, in the playoff game, Waddle's not playing and he's a huge part of the operation. They're playing, you know, and the worst possible temperatures they could be playing in a style of offense that they're in. Um, so I, I think they're going to be just fine. And I think the failure, and, you know, and I think a lot of people have gotten to learn about Mike McDaniel just with, you know, the access, you know, that you've seen the uh, hard, the hard knocks in season. Um, and I haven't seen the last, I think the last episode came out tonight. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I'm sure He'll have some pretty good stuff to say to the team as they move forward into the offseason and excited to see kind of what their next steps are. Another one, another coach I want to give a shout out to for this season, even though they, they lost in the playoffs, Mike Tomlin, man. Like that dude found a way to make the Pittsburgh Steelers a playoff team yeah. through all the upheaval and all the craziness that went on this season, firing a coordinator, dealing with quarterback issues galore uh dealing with off the field stuff players issues galore um he's an incredible leader and i don't know what's going to happen with him moving forward but his steady hand uh with the pittsburgh steelers has been really impressive i think he's a phenomenal leader and uh yeah i'm interested to see what happens with Coach Tomlin and where he he ends up? Whether he decides to stick it out in he said Pittsburgh, or... I think he told the team he'll be back next year. Did he? Okay, so, great, great. I mean, I he's... next year's the last year on his contract, but he told yeah. the team he'll be back for next year. I think, so. I think they should keep him around as long as he'll he'll be there. That's for yeah. sure. Impressive guy. Um, yeah, I man, think we... I saw I saw a poll come out from I don't know. They interviewed like eighty five players or something like that, and he was the number one coach that. Um, the guys across the league would want to play for. I think it was him, and then Mike McDaniel was number two. No doubt. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise at all. But we covered a lot of territory tonight, talked a lot about, about coaching changes and college football playoff and a little bit of wild card as well. What are you guys looking forward to in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs? Anything you, uh, you're excited to see in this, uh, this next round of the playoffs? Hey, man, the, the Buccaneers are two games away from Super Bowl. I mean, who would have dunked <laughs> it, man? Who would have dunked it? Baker Mayfield, 
What is happening? Um, yeah, I'm excited to see the Bucks Lions game. I mean, the Lions is saying the ticket prices for that game is the most ever for a divisional playoff game. I, I uh, imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's they haven't had a game in the second round since like what ninety. I don't know, 91-92. So um, that'd be a fun game to watch. Always good to watch Bills versus Chiefs. Um, where do you guys see that lean leading towards? Where do y'all? What do y'all think of that game? Who are your fa- who who are your favorites for that? Here's my thing right now. I'm just gonna go out and say it. Like, if they're gonna let Josh Allen play and run and do all those things, they could beat anybody and they could lose and lose to anybody <laughs> based on. Uh, him just being a gunslinger, but I kind of think the Bills are. I think the Bills are figuring it out right now. It feels that way to me. Yeah, hmm. it feels that way to me. I'm on the train of. I've said it all year. I don't know if I've said it on here, but I. I whoa, 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 whoa! Jake's take. Jake's take. This, this, this what are you Chiefs saying off team, camera, Jake? This Chiefs team gives me very much like Tom Brady. You know, some of those Patriots teams vibes. It's like, God, they're just so bad. Why can't they figure it out? And then all of a sudden they get to the playoffs and they're like, oh, yeah, that's Patrick Mahomes. That's Tom Brady. Like, He's still that dude. It's, you know, he is having to go on the road for the first time in his playoff career. That's that's an incredible stat. Pretty wow. Wild. That's insane. That's pretty insane. Minus Super Bowls. This is his yeah. first time not playing at home. And uh, I saw he Sp- won. So Spags he won. Has- Listen, Spags won, has that defense playing well. I think he's one playoff win away from tying Aaron Rodgers in playoff victories. I think he already tied, uh, or I think he might have passed. I don't know. I like just saw this. He like passed Aikman already. He passed wow. Elway. Like I mean, you're talking about like, and I understand like the playoffs are very different now than they used to be, but like. Also, That's the wild. dude is very much still in his prime with a lot of years to go. So, I don't know. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes, but I think the game I'm looking forward to the most is Texans-Ravens. I think a lot of people kind of came into that Texans game kind of like, are they really going to be able, you know, is C.J. Stroud really going to be able to show up against this Browns defense? C.J. Stroud's lit it up. Capable, and I I mean, that's just a team that they're not going to – walk into Baltimore and just kind of like be like, oh, we'll lay down. It's Baltimore. We're just going to kind of try to stay in this one. Like, no, they're going to come out swinging. Like, it's, I don't know. They're a fun team to watch, and I'm hoping it's a good game. Lamar Jackson is the best player in football right now. That is very true as well. And as long as he doesn't turn the ball over. Unreal. (laughs) Yeah. As long as Lamar Jackson doesn't turn the ball over, I don't think – I don't. I think that's the only way you can beat the Ravens is if he yeah. turns the ball over. I think that's or literally the only way you can beat them. Uh, refuse to catch the ball like they did at the beginning of the year. <laughs> yeah, they they seem to be settling in. They're definitely yeah. they're they're clicking. Yeah. And man, Matt Lafleur, um, he remembered how to coach football. Apparently, apparently everybody thought he had forgotten how to coach football halfway <laughs> through this season. Um, he he remembered. Jordan Love. Um, Jordan Love looks wow. pretty freaking good. Um, well, a lot to look forward to. Um, we'll definitely be planning on, on keeping you guys more in the, uh, in the loop, doing more episodes in the next couple of weeks, but, uh, it's good to be back. Good to see you guys. And, uh, yeah, we may have to, we may have to start, uh, start making, making some takes, some Jake's takes for, uh, 
the championship round and then and then the Super Bowl as well. Make some predictions, oh, yeah. but see, see what happens. Awesome, fellas. We'll appreciate you, coaches. Chiefs win, which means the Chiefs will probably lose. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Jake's <laughs> takes have had a rough a rough year, but it's a new year, so let's exactly. uh, let's make it happen. True, twenty twenty four. Well, as always, as always, we appreciate you guys listening along. We'll be back soon. Victory is a great play call.